Welcome to the wonderful world of wine, exploring all things wine with you. We are your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, and you can find us on WFPR 102.9. everyone and welcome to the wonderful world of wine. Mark and I are here every week to bring you trending topics in the wine world and how are you this week Mark? All's well Kim. Good to be talking wine with you and our listeners again today. Excellent. Yeah, for today's topic, we wanted to bring up shopping for wine and how to choose wine and all of those things that can be a little scary or intimidating, I think, for wine buyers when you're faced with so many options, so many choices, and it can be really difficult sometimes to figure out what you want to buy, what you want to choose, and do you go by price? Do you go by style? Do you take a recommendation? Where should people start? And we should nurse just some, uh, I think, some helpful tips and to tell people what others in the industry are recommending to do. Yeah, and this is a really, for, for me, and I'm sure yourself, Kim, it's been a really a popular subject people want to talk about and ask us questions about, you know, what's the best way to shop? Or what are we looking for? And we found many articles to kind of discuss a few things. And lately, actually this year, I've been developing more classes suited to this too, you know, how to choose wines, you know, restaurant tips and things like that. So I thought we should sit and talk about it. The, the wine wall in stores is getting more more and more confusing and complicated to people. It's, it's crazy out there. So we'll uh, try to sort out, you know, value and quality and best things for your money looking at all these articles we have. All right. So where do we want to start, Mark, where we can uh, offer some of this advice to our listeners? Well, the first article I think was Wine Enthusiasts. It was a four-step checklist to accessing the quality of wine. And quality is something I think we have to say first, Kim, it's really what you think is is quality to, to you and your profile. And I, I believe that's what they were kind of going for in this article. Things to examine to find out what fits your profile to tell you what your profile thinks is a good quality wine. What did you think, Kim? The steps, informative, basic, what was your take on it? I didn't really think that this was a an article that was saying that the wines that you like are de that you determine the quality. You know, I thought it was kind of the opposite. Just because you like it, that doesn't necessarily mean that if we're assessing it from the perspective of, is this the best wine or is this a, a quality wine? It, I feel like those are two different things that this article was, was saying. Well, that's interesting. So what's... Uh... Well, they were saying first, they went over the main components, how to examine a wine, which is basically all tasting etiquette for wine. What does it look like? What does it smell like? What does it taste like? And then after that, you can determine a few things. So you're saying, even though they do these steps, it might not still be quality to them, or you're saying it, it might not still mean it's a good wine. Explain a little bit to me. Yeah. So I think there's, they're saying that you might like, for example, they give two buck chuck, right? They say yeah. you might love Chubak Chuck, but it's not necessarily going to check all the boxes for what we're considering a quote unquote quality wine. You might like it, but it's not necessarily going to be falling into this category of the best quality wine. 
Okay, so because they were saying quality is based on a few factors, and if it doesn't hit exactly. all of those factors, okay, yeah, now I I get where you're right. going with that. So yeah, so to them, the something that fits your profile, but it doesn't match all these highlights of what makes quality, then you shouldn't say it's quality. Right. I think what they're trying to get to in this yeah. article, what makes a quote unquote wine, and so is a wine a wine that you like, or is a good wine a wine that falls into this category of oh, it hits all of these parameters for quality. You know, what's good to you is could be different than to another person. So we do, I think, hit up against this concept a lot. Is it quote unquote good or is it quote unquote sound or you know, words that we could use fits into this particular box? So yeah, I think um, considering it different between good wine and quality wine uh, is really sort of at the crux of, of this issue. Like you can consider a wine to be a good wine for you, but it might not necessarily be up to the level of what they are considering quality. Does that makes right. sense. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. So they were saying, first off, do the basic, examine it, the appearance, the nose, and then taste it. But there's four steps that really, if it hits all these four, then it's it. everyone should think it's quality. And, and the first one was balance. So a balanced wine. So let's explain to the listeners the, the term balance in a wine. What does that mean? What are they looking for for balance in a wine? So what you're looking for when you're talking about balance is that no particular wine is overwhelming all of the other ones. So like you don't want a wine that is sicky sweet and doesn't have enough, say, acidity to back up the sweetness, or you don't want to taste just oakiness and vanilla to the detriment of any fruit flavors. Like you want all of the pieces to be playing in harmony with each other so that you get some acidity and some tannins and some and maybe some oakiness and some savoriness, like all of these things kind of working together. I like to say that it's a wine that doesn't have um, elbows sticking out. Some people describe it as um, not too many angles. Um, so I just, I feel like it's when all the pieces come together, like putting a puzzle together and it all works. Yeah. Great description. I, I find myself using it a lot when I'm tr trying to sell somebody a wine i'll say it's very balanced and i'm thinking mm -hmm. i'm not really saying that right because if you don't understand the what balance means then it's just a word i'm throwing out there so you, you said it very yeah. well for me balance is the most important of all of these that I they're agree. talking about it's it's the number one for me yeah it seems like and you were saying alcohol sometimes they just right. you know either too too much alcohol, alcohol too much oak. <laughs> yeah so that sticks that's out. That's important. Lot. Yeah, that's really important. You know, it yeah. can't taste too boozy because then it's then it's out of balance. The next sign of quality was length. And I'm assuming they're saying, you know, you you're tasting it, you're tasting something, and after you swallow it, it still lingers, right? The 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 mm -hmm. finish, mm -hmm. uh, the length of the finish. And and I know that a lot put a lot of stock in the value of the length of a wine. Sometimes if I'm tasting wine with people and it doesn't have a particularly long finish, um, that is a big black X for that wine for people that they will immediately in their mind be like, nope, this is a missing something that makes this wine be of a better quality because that finish is so short. Yeah, I've noticed that a lot lately yeah. in wine. I don't necessarily, I have, I've put less weight on the length of a wine, I feel like if it has a short finish, eh, you know, that's a little bit less important to me because I'm just going to go back and have another sip. But <laughs> right. for a lot of people, it's it's a very important 
important component um, to the overall experience of the wine for them. Next, they were saying intensity and expressiveness is a sign of quality. So something that is very aromatic or the the taste profiles, like really something going on, you're getting a lot of different things, I guess, or variety mm-hmm. correct, I guess, is the best way yeah. they explore. Or has it. a lot so, of personality. You know, if it's got lots yeah. of layers, that intensity too, I think it c- can be very important. And they said complexity next, which to me, intensity, expressiveness kind of goes in hand with that. Because if there's, yeah. you know, like I was saying, a lot going on, it's complex. It's not just one fruit, it's multiple fruits, or it's multiple things going on in your mouth. You're getting texture, you're getting length. To me, that's complex. And, and that is definitely a sign of quality in how I kind of uh, tell the people the difference between, say, a, something at $10 price point, something double the cost. There's more complexity, more going on in that wine. I absolutely agree with you. I think you're totally spot on, Never. Then they said after you do assessing all four of those steps and they hit all four, you can make a decision if it's quality for you. But like you were saying earlier, Kim, it really should hit all of those points to for, for everyone to really consider it to be quality. Right. But if it's a simple wine and maybe doesn't, you know, hit all of these totally spot on, you can still like it. (laughs) And it's not it's not to say that it's a poorly made wine because it could be, you know, a please sound yummy wine that just happens to be simple and not have that complexity. Maybe it doesn't have that length, but especially for wines on kind of the lower end of the price spectrum, there's absolutely nothing wrong with enjoying those wines. You know, they're out there for a reason. And I feel like they hit a really good um, niche market to have well-made, tasty wines that maybe don't necessarily to the status of these, you know, award-winning quality wines, but they're still a very pleasant wine to drink. Right. Next, we had an article in winebusiness.com saying, yes, people need help when choosing a wine. (laughs) And another article saying the wine industry has a problem because drinkers have too many choices, which goes into play with the wine Because it brought the technology part of it into it. You know, the the tech idea of the last 20 years or so of either crowdsourcing reviews or having artificial intelligence come up with your particular flavor profile, you know, and then recommending to you specific wines. So I think that this is a really important issue to talk about when people are choosing wine and make sense to use those or rely on those algorithms to to help you choose what you're going to like. Yeah, and that you, seems... the tech guy, would like this one. Well, I, this this saying that wine buyers really won't use apps or tech. So how do we help them if there's 75% buying wine in a supermarket? You know, are mm-hmm. those the people who just want what they like and they're buying just what they like? They don't want recommendations. They won't use technology. You know, how do we help these people in selecting wine. And I, and I think- But what if they don't You and it? I, yeah. yeah <laughs> you or, know? <laughs> or, or they have the option of do, doing or ser- searching out people like you and I who would like to educate people on why you should look at certain things, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think that's the only way we can help people is keep offering- you know, things like this show and classes and telling people what's out there. But I think also the the idea of making it easy, because he mentions in this that back before we had wine apps, 
people would write books, like literally books that had wine recommendations in them, but nobody wants to carry a book into the wine store. <laughs> right. That would date <laughs> and, myself, and that, right? You know, anything that's in print when it comes to specific wines and vintages and things like that is pretty much out of date by the time it gets printed. Right. Uh, you know, especially wines that are in demand are gone, like as soon as they hit the shelf. So it's I think it's it's really hard because things change so constantly on the wine shelf to be able to get that information into people's hands in a usable way. And I think that's kind of at the crux of it. It's in an easy, usable way. Not that people want wine to be simple, but that they want to have the shopping of it be simple. You mentioned the books in how we used to go by that years ago. Every year they come out, these, this is the guide for 2023 and you'd buy it. And mm -hmm. like you said, then those wines are either gone already. I'm noticing now the publications putting out reviews. Most of the time that vintage isn't even on the shelf yet. It's yeah. kind of the opposite way. Instead of being yeah. gone, it hasn't hit yet because the publications it are so up to date. Yeah. And it's what I find them in that with um, with websites. So like if I go to say, the importer or the distributor and I'm trying to find information on a very particular wine that I'm you know, showing at a tasting or doing something like that, that oftentimes they don't match up with, right. with what I have, whether it's too new to or too do, old. Yeah. I'm like, help. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're right. It's so, so it's, a, you know, it's an old problem that we still have not found a solution for on either side, either yeah. our professional side or on the consumers and buyers. You know, it's it's difficult for everybody. We had another article that was in the concreteplayground.com, the noble guide to choosing wine and hit on a lot of things, Kim, that we've mentioned to our listeners in the past. Oh, is this the Australian your... one? The concrete playground, I believe they were. I, I it had the yeah, four. Yeah, I think they were. I think to these, keep in mind. these folks are Australian. What did you get a different take because it was from Australia? Or just no, I mean, they repeated no, I actually a lot like, of stuff we always say. So yeah, no, I like I like sometimes when we see articles from places that are not the United States because it gives us a slightly different perspective of how things are viewed and or or handled in other parts of the world because we often just see kind of our own little area. Right. 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 So to so to see that there are these topics that come up, whether you're you know, when you're anywhere in the English speaking world, I think is um, it's sort of refreshing. But OK, yeah, you know, wine really is this global thing. And the things that we talk about are the same for retailers, uh, you know, halfway across the world as well. So it kind of was uh, refreshing for me. Yeah, it shows there's an industry standard that's worldwide. And mm -hmm. they had four things to keep in mind to discover what they call delicious wines. And occasion was the, the first. And always, what do we need this wine for? And then they said price, which we always talk about. But they said price is the most accurate indication of quality. What did you think of that quote? We go back and forth on this one, don't we? And I, yeah. and I think that there have been a number of times where we have specifically said price is not the thing that you should necessarily look for. And we like to give tips about oh, if you want to maximize your wine budget, don't buy wines from, you know, someplace, say, that has 
a super high reputation, you know, someplace like a Napa Cabernet, you know, you're not going to get the same bang for your buck if you're buying wines from from Napa versus wines from, I don't know, the Dow region in Portugal. So yeah, I actually thought that that was sort of interesting. But I think overall, and so maybe that is, is it like overall a $25 better quality than a $10 bottle of wine in the, you know, in most situations, right. not all situations, but and yeah, if we use that guide from the the first article talking about the four items to look for in quality, you could have a $10 bottle that hits all of those items. You could have a $20 bottle that hits, but you, chances are the higher priced ones will hit more of those points. The lower that's a good way of phrasing it. Points. Yeah, that's so, actually a really good that's way of, how of looking at it. They said also keep an eye on the region, newer, new world versus old world, because there's style differences, mm -hmm. which is a worldwide uh, wine shopping tip we we talk about in the past and also and they I think said, those yep. going to blur a little bit as we deal with changes to growing conditions and climates and movement of where vineyards are planted and we've got new things coming up that uh, those lines I think are are starting to blur you know in 10 years when we have the new world old world conversation I, I think that will be more of an issue of that not necessarily a factor really to use in oh, what do you like you like new world you like old world so I think right. that's something that we need to keep on our right because of climate yeah the last they said uh, always look for the the experts and mm -hmm. ask them for advice, which is good. What what there was a term they used, Kim, that I never heard. And I, I had to ask you about. They said there's a phenomenon in the wine world called cellar door effect. Did you hear I, this before? Uh, I have. I understand the concept, what they're talking about, but not necessarily um the phrase that they are using. So they they refer to this thing called the cellar door. Think of as the vacation concept where something tastes better when you are in a particular moment and you're they use the example of you're at the cellar door like you're at the winery and you're tasting the wine in this atmosphere of whatever the the winery happens to be located and so you're feeling the moment and so it tastes differently than when you bring those bottles home and you're drinking it at your kitchen table and you're kind of like eh and i i like to tell this to people that it's like Okay, you're on vacation in Italy. Of course, everything is going to taste better. <laughs> yeah, you use the so, exact thing that I like that vacation effect because the Italy thing I hear all the time. Yeah. Why was it when I was in Tuscany? This wine didn't give me a headache, and it was like. And perfect. I think that's why I call it the 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 Italy vacation effect because yeah. we hear so many people specifically referencing vacation in Italy and about why wine tastes so much better than when they're there. So I think that this is a real phenomenon, and I feel like. We see this too when we go to tastings. You know, something might not be good when you're assessing it in a sterile environment where you've got, you know, all these wines to taste and you're going boom, boom, boom. But you get it home and you're with friends or it's your birthday or you're more relaxed. It just things taste better in different situations. And and that's what they're talking about here. So like and it's always more fun to drink with other people. So wine is always going to taste better in uh, I think in a group setting. Yeah. You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine, and we are your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. For more information about Kim, please go to her website at commonwealthwineschool.com. 
For more information about myself, please go to franklinlickers.com. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at The Wonderful World of Wine, and we are on Twitter at Wine Education. Today, we're talking about selecting and choosing wines and some articles who hit all sorts of subjects, how to help you in the complicated wine world. And next, Kim, we had something that was in cnet.com, which cheap wines are actually good? And here's how to tell. And uh, our old friend Cheap Wines is uh, putting its head up again. Uh, we like to say inexpensive. A lot of articles. Well, I, still I, had a, I had a little note when I was reading this one. I put cheap versus value. How about value? You and I, when we, um, when we talk about wine. And that we don't like to we don't like to say cheap wine. You like to say inexpensive wine. Right. But I think that it there is value in talking about well, this is a value wine as opposed to a cheap wine because there are so many negative connotations with the word. Right. Right. And I think it, again, going back to the first article about the quality steps. There was a lot of value wines that hit two, three of the four things that it, it makes it value because it hits so many points that sh- you know show a good quality wine. I, I wouldn't call them cheap. I get, I hate that people use that term. I mean, people can afford what they can afford. So some people's cheap wine is some people's wine they they can't afford every day. So, but I like your take on it. And uh, what would you consider? value wines? Would you use the quality step? I would describe them as wines that have a good bang for their buck. Like you can compare them to other wines at their same price point and they over deliver at that amount. So like that's what I consider to be a value wine. So you could have a $12 bottle of wine and maybe or have five $12 bottles of wine, you know, and taste them side by side. If there is one of those wines that hits those steps that we were talking about earlier in the show where it has complexity and it has length and it it has the balance. And if that is the standout wine within that price point and sort of over delivers for the dollars that you've spent for them, I feel like that is one of those wines that it's like, wow, this is value. It over delivers for the amount of money that you've spent. Yeah, I like that. They mentioned in the article cork versus screw cap doesn't mm-hmm. mean what it did before. So yep. people might use that cheap term with with a screw cap. Yeah, that one's kind of, I feel like, and... off the table now. It's like, <laughs> yeah. Like you can't use that yep. to determine because there are some very inexpensive bulk wines that are very mass produced that still come with corks. And I don't know why. They gave, <laughs> maybe yeah, because of they... this, maybe because there are so many people who still view, oh, this must be a better wine because it has a cork in it. So I think that, that that's my sneaky suspicion of why there are still some not so great $7 bottles of wine that still have corks. And of course, they gave some tips. And one of them was avoid wine trends when you're. <laughs> I was wondering how you were going to deal with this one. <laughs> well, I, I think something that's trending wouldn't be something that would be of best value for your money right away because it's probably something unique that's going mm-hmm. to cost you some more money. But w- what was your take on it? Well, I think that th- that, that you know, hits a different type of consumer because you have to know what the trends are in order to avoid the trends. So if you know what the trends are, you're already somebody who is thinking about wine. You're not just going into a store and buying the first thing that. So I thought that was more like nuanced. 
where in order for, you know, you you already know stuff about wine. And if you already know what the trending wines are, then you probably have a little bit more knowledge that maybe you don't think you know more about wine, but you, but you probably do. So I feel like those people are already at an advantage because they already have a little bit of an idea of what's going on in the wine world. Would you consider wine that's trending something that's just being influenced by social media, meaning something that's backed mm. by a celebrity, if a celebrity saying drink, and does that mean it's trending or is it a like a style or a region that trends? Yeah, that's an interesting way of, of looking at it. So I would say that, yeah, I mean, social media influence is part of marketing. And so I don't necessarily, I don't know if we would consider, it doesn't really fit into our definition of trending because when we talk, we tend to talk about sort of longer term trends, whether they be year or half a decade. But I think for talking about social media trends, those are more like flash in the pan trends. You've got an influencer who is selling a particular brand for a certain amount of time that they that they're being paid for. So I I don't know that they are I don't know that they're the thing in my mind. Yeah. It's more like an ad campaign, you know? Right, right. I don't want something the trend I mean there's a stat that says like 80% of big brands cost is their marketing. So mm -hmm. I don't want to, you know, people to think that they should buy a wine because someone's putting a lot into the marketing. It doesn't mean anything about its quality or right. if it, it, it's kind of uh swaying the wine world lately, yeah. I think. And I think that that's important. And you know about that when we talk about labeling and what does the label look like on that bottle? How is that appealing to the consumer. And I talk to my beer students about this too, because especially American beer labels, that artwork is all over the map. Right. And it's partly a reflection of the personality of the people making the beer, but then it's also a reflection of marketing efforts. Like, how do we get people to buy this? I think that that part of it ties in. It doesn't really tell you anything about the quality of what you are buying, but really is part of the marketing effort to get you to purchase that. It's funny you mentioned the labels on the beer because I see that trend more popular in beer that the label and catching of, you know, the catchy names and the colors on yeah. a beer labels drawing people people more than that marketing for wine. Absolutely. And, and that was big with wine coming up with these catchy names and colors. Yeah. And they had all these have to use this font. But maybe they found that, but it works for beer buyers. It's working you know, for beer buyers for yeah, sure. Yeah. It's, you know, it's a different, I think it's a different mindset. Like I don't know that we necessarily, or that people who are regular wine consumers want something that I don't, I don't know. It's, it's, yeah, it's it does confusing. seem that it's, it's just very different. Yeah. And I think because the market's different. I mean, I might, but I think a lot of wine drinkers who maybe occasionally will have a beer or beer drinkers who will occasionally have a glass of wine. Not the crazy right. split like I am. I liked what they said in this article about getting recommendations for people from the employees in your favorite wine store, because chances are those people are drinking wine on a regular basis and they don't want to spend a lot of money. I like yeah. this idea of the wine recommendations that are in a particular price point that's a little bit lower for everyday drinking, because if those people are drinking those every day, then they absolutely like them. And this has been my experience as someone who has sold boatloads of everyday wine to drink that I always had such great recommendations for people for like at $10, at $12, at $8, because that's what I brought home and drank. Right. And that's, a, that's all part of their shop 
local thing. And I think it also, selection is all part of price points. You know, is the place you're going have a good range of price points? And like you said, are they recommending things always at the highest spot or the low spot? Where are you getting recommendations? Do they have a selection of price points for you to choose? But I, yeah. I like that tip too about what the employees are saying. The, the confusing thing I thought in this article was the, the title was which cheap wines are actually good. And then they said, explore entry level wine. It yeah. Was, they don't really talk a whole lot about cheap wine. <laughs> so what, do, you, what, what do, they, do they mean? Yeah. This part confused me too, especially when they're talking about these, this particular category of German wines. I'm like, nobody knows what these are. Like only right. like the like it's a half a percent like, of people in the world know what these German wines are. So why are you even bringing these up in this article? Yeah, I don't know. I was thinking they were kind of driving explore winery second labels. Like if they if a winery makes a twenty five dollar bottle, but they're secretly making something at ten dollars. Yeah, you'd have to kind of have the inside info from the store. Hey, this company that makes this bottle is making this bottle, which goes back to your point. The person working the stores, drinking everyday wines, yeah. is drinking that everyday second label wine because they don't want to drink a $25 bottle every night. Right. And that's easy for some wine regions. Like they mentioned Piedmont in, uh, in particular here. So obviously you'll see the same exact producer's name on their Barolo versus on their Barbera because the producer name is right out there in front. But other in other places, it's very hard. And I think especially for New World wines, if a, a winery is making their top tier wines and putting one label on them, they might be making a second or a third label and, and, the, and the labeling might be completely different. So, you know, just by looking, if that is the second label of this producer that you would splurge on if you could at that moment. But here is this other thing that they make that's at half the price and you're going to really like it too. Like, I, I think that that's one of those things that's, you know, really hard. Like we talked in a previous show about how does the consumer know that one wine is a big commercial brand versus a small artisanal product? And sometimes it's very, very hard to tell. Yeah. A lot of times you need that inside information that yeah. Joe that's why we're here. <laughs> second labels named after his son and he doesn't yeah, want to, exactly. you know, or, or the daughter's doing this and, it, yep. and it's good inside info to get a lot of times. And there's that value again to a small wine shop who has staff who who knows this stuff, you know, that we go to tastings and, and we, we talk to the importers and we talk to the salespeople and we have that in inside info that you're just not going to get at Costco. Sorry, Costco. <laughs> no, I, I mean, they did mention something about, you, you know, big box experience versus the small store. And a lot of that goes, even nowadays, I think a lot of the small store mentalities change where I, I have a lot of salespeople, and you, you probably see this as well, Kim, in the, in the wine world. People who are selling wine know who's tasting wine and wants to taste it to know, hand sell it, right? Versus the stores that are just buying things that are trending, like we talked about earlier. Do you buy things based on what's trending and put them on your shelf or you buy things people are recommending and saying they're good quality right. and they want you to pass it along to your customers? So, or are you just sticking to the same old, same old and you know that people are going to buy wines that have, I don't know, Martha Stewart and Snoop, and Snoop Dogg? Yeah. It, it, but, you know, those sell, but is there's also, like you mentioned, Portugal earlier, this Portuguese, I just brought in a ton of Portuguese wine. I couldn't believe under $15, mm -hmm. reserve, old, old vine, hint harvested, and under $15 a bottle. That kind of hits right. my quality points in a wine. And you don't 
get that because the big stores usually are not either tasting or getting the education to know the stories behind the wines. So that's a big drawback. Yeah. Uh, but that's the whole thing with it. wine. It just keeps keeps getting more and more confusing mm -hmm. out there. And, and I just wanted to bring these up today because I feel like we, we hear this a lot of, you know, what are some tips? Give us some tips. And we're always doing things that kind of put out tips out there to the listeners. And, uh, and like, there's no problem finding articles related to this. And a lot of them that we didn't cover actually have points that are just the similar points. Like you said, Kim, from the Australia uh, tasting table hit a lot of points on what to look for when you're getting a wine. And then we had uh, another article about tips for buying that, you know, using technology, not using technology. So th it's very mm -hmm. similar article. But then also things like you're going to do yourself a service by just having a little bit of knowledge. You know a little bit about some wine regions that you like, or you can read a wine label from someplace other than the United States. Just educate yourself on some basic things and it will really, really help you as you go in your search for some some new fun wines that you're going to love to drink. Thank you for listening to us today on The Wonderful World of Wine. We have been your hosts, Kim Simone and Mark Lenzi. You can find our past episodes on SoundCloud and iTunes. Always leave us your questions and comments on Facebook. We are at The Wonderful World of Wine. And listen to us every week on WFPR, Franklin Public Radio, 102.9. Cheers. Wine, wine.